so welcome to episode two of the Amp Studio podcast. My name is Craig Sheridan. I'm the senior engineer and music technology trainer for Amp Studio. Uh, the skill support coach for Given Hands Music as well. And I'm here with Sean McDonald. Uh, he's a songwriter, uh, music producer for the Bond Search Party, and he's the station manager at RadioYMP.com. Before the world changed, Ooh. we engineered the recording and mixing sessions in Amp Studio, and now we're removed from the studio. We're taking our recording adventures home. And this podcast is for us to get a catch up and talk about technique and exchange creative strategies and talk about plugins and all things and, and all the crack to do with music production um we're celebrating this week being on youtube spotify um, and the rest of the internet world we're on soundcloud we're on mixcloud and of course we're on radio uh, ynp.com um and you can join us on any one of those platforms and please like comment leave messages get in touch and let us know how you're finding us and how you like the show if you have a music production related question you can fire them over to craig at amp studio that's c-r-a-i-g at a-m-p-s S-T-U-D-I-O.com. Um, uh, or you can leave a comment in the Facebook group, of course. Uh, so shout out to our uh, 158 members of the Facebook group after the first podcast. Thank you very much for being involved. Um, if you're on YouTube, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, um, and please leave a comment. Uh, so, Sean, uh, we're going to move straight on to you. Hello, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, yeah. I'm sort of, uh, I'm in a great mood today, actually. Um, the heat's getting to be a bit claustrophobic in this yeah. wee square room, but um, I'm in an overall good mood. How, how's your week been? Uh, very busy. Uh, a lot of things going on. Uh, it's always very exciting when you're doing new stuff, as well as very nervous and not quite sure if you're up to the job. Um, but we'll talk about things that have been challenging us a wee bit further on to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a good week in general. Um, get out for a walk this morning, and um, Beth, Beth's up early this morning, so uh we were up early this morning again, um, but by the time I'd even just loaded her into the pram to take her out, she was already passed out. Um, but the morning walks are really, really working out for me. Um, it gives me a good 45 minutes just to clear my head. And I used to take my phone with me. I think I talked in the last podcast about listening to the book. Well, obviously, I finished that, listening to that book, and now I just go for the walk and let my, my thoughts just run out and disappear. Mm-hmm. And all that energy that's bouncing about internally just seems to nullify, and it gives me a bit more headspace just to approach the day from a calmer place. It's a whole lot more constructive for me. Um, what, have you been, what have you been busy with this week? Um, a lot of things. Uh, I've been sort of really getting stuck in to uh, a lot of the shows that the young people are putting together for the radio. They've had a lot of ideas uh, in the last couple of weeks and um, it's been a process just getting them um, ideas, you know, in a manageable task list of what we need to lay out because yeah. they're getting more and more creative as lockdown right, goes right. on yeah. and uh, the ideas in the shows are becoming a lot more elaborate so it's there's a lot of planning that's going into you know the schedule of things and you know what time the things need to be done before they go out so it's interesting and it's it's keeping me busy like but it's really good and it's really good to see Happy days. Um, it's a lovely thing. Um, we're going to. Uh, we've got a, a big lunch. A big lunch. A big list of questions. I had uh, a big lunch. Oh, nice. What did you have? <laughs> um, Nicole made me like a toasty, but in like a tortilla wrap with oh. like chorizo and uh, chicken and cheese. It was, it was really lovely. Party time. <laughs> um, I always find the toasties made for you are just that extra bit sweeter. What have you overcome this week, though? I had I have like a wee list of goals of things that I wanted like you know that I wanted to achieve over the next while and uh one of them that I just couldn't get was running six K because it seemed every time I was in the gym, every time I was going out for a run, I was just about hitting five right, every right. time before just going right because five is a nice 
lovely sounding number uh, that you're like, <laughs> I'm happy enough with that. I can go home now and I, I'm racked, you know, fine, I, I'll do me. But it just, so, just a mental block there that, you know, that, you know, you don't need to do anymore. Like you're fine there. So, um, I two days ago there, I, I ran out and I, and I was like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I've and done six. And even though it's only another kilometer, it was just, um, a wee mental block that I just couldn't get over for the last yeah. while. So that's what I've overcome the last, um, in the last week or so. What about you? Well, just before we move on, what do, what do you think that does? What do you think that achieving those, even if they're, they're micro goals in your mind, what do you think that does? Um, <laughs> it, you know, if you, if you look in the grand scheme of things, there was no pressure on me to do that. Right. And there's, it's not as if there's really a weight lifted off my shoulders or anything. But um, I think that uh, sort of stands as a meaning for a lot of things for me that um, just not to be uh, content with doing enough. And uh, if there's things that I want to achieve that uh, that I can't push a wee bit more than I'm just expected or that is good enough sort of way. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a deep version of it. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I think there's always the, it's the, I can't do it, I have done it, I will do it, I'm moving on, I'm making progress. There's mm-hmm. always that self-satisfaction when you're doing anything to improve any skin and skill base. And I think that's um, really important that we have something that we're working towards at all times anyway. And I suppose that's why us and everyone who's watching this gets into music in the first place anyway. It's such a vast, vast thing. There's so much you can always be getting better on, but it is sometimes good to get yourself out of the workshop or away from the instrument and go and experience the world and have triumphs that yeah. you can write about. Um, and that's the big thing too. Um, so this week in particular, we started uh, our delivery of online training in Lamp Studio. So we started a uh, level two OCN in music production, um, which is a unit called composition, and it's delivered over 12 hours. So we're starting to do that. We're starting to make sure that all the, the, the resources are available online, that um, all the connections work. And one of the things that um, I kind of really love um, is seeing people skill up or seeing people meet those milestones. Um, you know, just sitting in front of a person and explaining an idea to them and then they're instantly able to implement that. And you can see even their whole body language changes when they get it. Um, and it's that wee moment that, and it's the same when relating the two you're running, whenever that wee moment where you think, this is, I can't do this, this is for me, I get it, I can move on, mm-hmm. I can move forward. And and it, it's, it's totally, you know, it's maybe an ego thing for me, but I have such a great buzz from seeing people get to that level where they're yeah. getting better. Uh, and I find that very rewarding and that's very inspiring for me. Um, what have you been inspired by this week? Um, if we go back to the young people in our radio team, they've oh, yeah. been quite inspiring because, um, you know, I mentioned that their uh, ideas for shows are becoming very elaborate and, um, and it's making things a bit, busier and harder for me but at the same time it's really inspiring for me because they're tackling a a lot of issues that you know for a lot of them um you know sometimes it's it's not really necessarily uh you know all the time that they're doing serious shows may just be like a a fun friday night you know music show um but they're still um you know taking time at the minute with everything that's going on you know with the with the protests over in America, with yeah. uh, the lockdown over here, there's um, been a lot of political things going on here as well that you know people are wanting to to speak about, and and the fact that these young people are finding the time 
during uh, lockdown and um, while they don't necessarily have to get involved and they don't have to do these things that they are using their time to to you know make their voices heard about this is is very inspiring for me yes 100 percent um it's that important thing you know it's it's the use the voice you were given i suppose i think so uh we've had a few questions that have come in this week actually um and it's for questions that have been sent into the podcast or people that we bumped into or, or stuff that's come up during the week. And there was three big ones in, 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 that stood out for me. Uh, the first one was sent in uh, by Chantal, from, who's an ex-student of ours in Amps. And she's uh, she's making a, a podcast for the Seamus Handy Centre of Queen's. Uh, it's a poetry podcast. And she had seen the first podcast and she got in touch and she said, listen, I'm having these issues from recording interviews over Skype. Sometimes they're glitchy and they're sounding like watery or they're sounding distorted. And how do I get rid of that? The honest answer there is you don't get rid of that. Um, and people just kind of accept the idea that this has been recorded through Skype and sometimes that happens. So the only thing that I could suggest here is just ask the person to repeat the phrase or ask the person to repeat the stanza or repeat what they say just to clarify for the listener. And if there's no opportunity to add it, then people will understand during a live stream that it's been reset for the sake of clarity. Um, have yeah. you found any other way to deal with that? Um, the only other advice I would give is that you know, people are quite understanding mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, we were quite skeptical with the radio um, in terms of the quality. Uh, you know, I, I was set up here because, you know, I've got the recording equipment at home and mics and stuff, and I can get things near enough to the same standard as the studio. Um, but when it came to recording stuff over uh, video conferencing, uh, to record, you know, some of the young people recording stuff on their phones over yeah, concerned. Yeah, yeah. How would that come across on the radio? Because mm-hmm. uh, we usually try and limit that sort of thing. But, you know, everyone understands that we're in lockdown at the moment, yeah. that um, we don't have access to the usual equipment. So, um, and people are responding and listening to the content. So clearly, audio quality um, in terms of podcasting isn't as high up the agenda for listeners as we um, usually think it is. I think listeners, if they're listening to something and it sounds good and the audio isn't getting too much in the way, then they're happy to listen to it, you know? Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be too concerned. Work with what you've got yeah. and yeah. Um, and just make sure this, the show is, is good rather than uh, <laughs> investing too much money in the equipment. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, yeah. Like likewise with the Skype stuff, you know, it can always be fixed as well in, in the edits and stuff too. So Yeah. So um just make sure that you repeat if there's any kind of glitch. Um and um people are just gonna accept that this is part of the technology and part of what we're using. Uh, it kinda reminds me of, of the early days of phone ins on radio shows too. And even though you were recording you were broadcasting what was coming off a telephone line, which is bomb past and had that certain sound to it anyway. Mm-hmm. That was the sound of the phone, so people accepted that. And this is the sound of Skype, and people accept that for what it is. Um, so it, it's different if you're doing a, a streaming or a master class and you want that audio quality to be as pristine as possible. But for, for general podcasting, for chatting, especially for talk-based stuff, um, I don't think that the sound quality of Zoom is going to turn any listeners away. I think that's the, a, a safe bet there. Um, so uh, the, the next question that came in then was, 
about turnaround time for a mix and about bouncing stems. We'll get the turnaround time for a mix first, um, because I suppose that's really about managing expectations. Um, so I had received a phone call asking about mix times, um, and the uh, the deadline was the next day. And I was thinking, there's not even a practical circumstance for me to download and import your files to check them in a day. Never mind deliver you a full on mix plus reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so but that got me thinking, though. I mean, it's, that's obvious for me. I know my schedule, but that person didn't know. I mean, I had an open schedule and I may have been able to do that. Um, but I suppose it's a good conversation to talk through the mix. Um, so uh, let's see. To put it into the cut, well, actually, we'll kind of give you the context already. What are your thoughts on how long a mix would take to deliver? I mean, I suppose there's so many factors in this, isn't it? Really, um, you know, if if you look at maybe the the scale of the project, yeah, you know, is it is it a single? Is it an album? Obviously, that's going to be a, um, you know, how many tracks is obviously going to be a big factor. If you look at you know how many instruments how many, you know, tracks are going to be on that one, you know, song or um, how big, how long of a song is it? How um, many people are performing on it? You know, so there's there's lots of things straight out the gate that are going to differentiate tracks. You know, yeah. if, if you're maybe recording um, a four-piece band, do a live you know, a song live and, the, and it's just to go out. It's it's also about the expectation of the band. You know, they might only be expecting to get, you know, a rough mix back to put out as a demo. Or maybe this is going to be a full release and and this is for a more sort of uh, top-end client who is, you know, maybe paying more for a more defined mix or whatever, you know. So there's a lot of things that come in that, when you consider that as well. But um, I think reasonably, if, if we go back to that example of, of like a four-piece band that has recorded something live together in the studio and wants something uh, back as a demo, um, you know, and you've got a couple of, you've, you've got no more than like 12 tracks or whatever, I think reasonably you, pro- you probably could do that in a day, no sweat. Um, but um beyond that it, it's hard to tell really oh, yeah, it, it's, right. it's hard to, it's hard to put a time scale on it uh so and i suppose the my most favorite phrase ever from learning science in school was the term independent variables um <laughs> didn't quite know what it meant the first time i heard it but i liked how it sounded uh but what it means here is there's too many things like you listed about how many band members are there how many takes are there is there a premix on um are the vocals compiled is everything in tune there's all that stuff even before you get to mixing that you have to assess fr- within um a track or a project that's been sent to you as a mix engineer. So just receiving the files, downloading the files, checking on all the files that are loading the files into the project, getting your project set up into groups and colors and making it organized in that way, and then analyzing the sound. You're generally talking about two hours there, just slips away. Yeah. Before you even touch a fader. Um, so, I mean, off the back of that then, there's then there's the time where you then do all the kind of the, the technical work to make sure that it's happening and then you throw some creative ideas and then you would throw, at that point, you start to put it together what the client wants and offer them then the first mix for review. Um, but it's only really after they give you feedback that you kind of really start to get it and make changes according to how they want it to sound. But there's a, a whole two series of works that the pre, yeah. um, before you start mixing, the mix bit, and then the review, and then 
the feedback and the, the changes made off the back of that. So, I mean, there's four distinct stages there that a mix has to go through before it can be happily finished by the engineer and by the people who are paying for it. So, if it's a client that you work with regularly and you've already got this stuff done and they're giving you stems in the same way and um, everything's working in a consistent manner and you've done it before, there's a whole lot of shortcuts already in place there if you know what they expect from the client and you've got a session set up. And those sessions mm-hmm. can be turned around quite quickly too. But in general, for a new client, for a new project, for never having heard this one before, um, you're talking you know, at least a minimum of about three days because you always want to have that day to go to bed that night and wake up the next day and make sure you're happy with it before you send it off yeah. to the client. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose it depends who we're talking to as well here. Um, I suppose if we're talking to other engineers um, who are wondering, you know, is it possible to do yeah. a mix in a day? Certainly it's possible, but it's definitely not recommended because, uh, as you said, you, you lose that whole reference even two hours after you've just set up the the track and got everything you know organized you're all, you're already too tired to even listen to it objectively yeah um so you need that break away from the mix to you know to work on it effectively and then of course um you know you might listen to it later on and want to make changes yeah so it's possible but definitely not recommended that's the answer i would give to engineers yeah but um, the clans, I would say that, uh, and they answer the question like, how long should you expect um, an engineer to take to do a mix? And I would say, you know, for small to medium projects, you know, you should allow. And me personally, when I've sent songs off to be mixed, I've, you know, waited a week without prompt yeah. before asking any update. You know, I think uh, you shouldn't be expect you shouldn't expect a mix to be done within a week. I would say. Yeah, I think a, a two week turnaround for the project, which includes uh, file delivery, uh, the first review mix sent back, and then changes to be made. I think fourteen days is a fair amount of time to yeah. wrap that up. Um, and obviously, if it's if it's a project with more than one song but it's been recorded in the same way, then things can be sped up after the first mix. But for that initial mix, it's always going to have, I mean, you're talking about a, a two-week turnaround, really, for the project. Um, and at, at Amstu, our, our mix services, um, we offer kind of tier projects, and it's, this is just kind of to manage what this, what's going on there and manage expectations. So um, if we do a project of up to 24 tracks, that's obviously going to be cheaper than something that's maybe um, plus 50 tracks or even plus 100 tracks. Um, we could... We could actually maybe do a video on how to reduce the the track size within your project without really sacrificing um, what's in what's the content of the track. But I think sometimes it's important for the band or whoever's producing the band, and sometimes that might be a band member. But it's important for those people to make decisions about the direction and the content of the song before it gets to the mix engineer, because it's not the mix engineer's job to make creative decisions on behalf of the band. And there's always the risk that mm-hmm. you could leave some things out or you could compare them in the wrong way or you could make the, use the wrong take that the band aren't happy with. But those decisions weren't made by the band in the first place. So there's a bit of work that needs undone there. So um, I suppose that leads us very nicely, Sean, into the idea of exporting stems. Um, yeah. So that was the other question that came in and it was about, like, well, 
how do you export stems or how do you go about using stems or why would you even want to export stems now we're going to have a video at the end of this for the the youtube um the youtube for on youtube that uh, shows this process and I, i'm going to be using ableton to do it but it's the same principle that applies to all DAWs. um we want to make sure that when we're bouncing out stems we bounce them out in the arrangement that they're in and we've already made decisions about what we're keeping and what we're not um so uh let, well let's have first of all, explain what stems even are. So um, if you're recording from home or you might have recorded in a, in a studio and you've got uh, the, the parts from that, or you may be just working in a, a DAW and you've got the parts of a beat that you've sequenced, um, you want to take each one of those individual tracks and bounce them out as an individual file. And why would you even want to do that, Sean? Um, for a number of reasons, really. Um, I think uh, when I first started recording, uh, when when you only start recording, like I think most people just think of, you know, I'm working on this project. Yeah. And yeah. um I'm working on it on Logic or Pro Tools or whatever. And it's gonna be put out as this single and it's never gonna be anything else and it's gonna stay this way. And everybody's gonna love it the way it sounds. <laughs> you never once consider yeah. that that's gonna need to be revisited or that someone else is uh, going to need to look at it or that um, a certain part is going to need to be taken out and replaced with something else. So you have uh, you have recordings starting at different times. You have, um, you know, things not uh, clipped at the end because you've just automated them out and you go, ah, sure, it doesn't need to be clipped. And, you know, so, and you haven't got all your files named or numbered or put into a specific STEM folder or anything because you think, well, I'm the only one working with it. Yeah, I know where it, everything is. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of like when, you know, uh, someone tells you to clean your room, you know, you, you say like every, everything is where <laughs> I know where it is. is. Um, yeah. but, um, but the reason why that is silly is because you never know what's going to happen to that project later down the line. You might be happy with yeah. it now, um, but you know, you could listen back a few weeks later and realize that, um, the drum tracks are, have a lot of timing problems. It could be that, um, you're just not getting anywhere with the mix section of it. So you think, you know what, I'm going to send this on to someone else to take a look at it. And in those circumstances, no one else understands your mind yeah. the way you do. And so they're going to open up this big pile of a mess and not, and have to try and put together a jigsaw piece. And I'll be honest, if I got something like that sent in to me, I probably wouldn't even attempt it, you know, unless it was in, in a half decent state, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it is. It's like the coding at a foreign language. Sometimes um, you need to understand what people's shortcut references are too. So I suppose we should go over a wee bit about what stems are and how to bounce them out and and how to keep them clearly labelled for humans to understand. Um, <laughs> so I, I suppose where stems come from to put this in context of of the recording process. Um, so once the songwriting's done and once it's been recorded, um, often what will happen, especially in amps, is at the day of recording you'll get a monitor mix something that, that's kind of capturing the vibe of the, the performance on a day and that the band are happy with and they go off with. But after a day's worth of recording, you're not hearing critically, you're not listening critically. So you're it's a, it's a best a demo mix about what the song, uh, what we're pushing for, but it's not a finished mix. Getting a finished mix requires a whole different mix section and there's a whole stage to that. In between the recording 
and the mixing section, there's a lovely bit in the middle that's very often overlooked for, by a lot of people called the premix. And the premix is that bit at the end of the recording session where, you, just like you said, you're tidying up all those loose ends. So if anything's out of tune, you're fixing it. If there's any bits that are a clip or stop earlier that need faded out, you're addressing that. If there's any unwanted noise, you're taking that out. If there's any bleed, you're trying to deal with that in the best way possible. So you're just trying to minimize the amount of work that has to, or sorry, you're trying to minimize the amount of noise and unwanted stuff that transfers into the next phase. And it's a really important process because it stops you thinking about songwriting and starts you thinking about mixing because they're very, very different things. So when we're recording or when we're songwriting, it's not the same as when we're mixing. When we're mixing, we're presenting what's left in its most glorious way. So this pre-mix stage is right, it's the chop in the middle and it's the tidying up before we move on. Um, now, even if you're the engineer who is like you, the, the songwriter, the producer, the recorder, even if you're like the one man operator there, it's still an important phase. How do you approach your pre-mix, Sean? What do you do before you start down, before you get into a mix? Um, and it's interesting, you know, because uh, the way you mentioned, you know, the, all the different steps that you take there yeah. and, you know, even the likes of, um, like uh, tuning and uh, stuff. They're all like mechanical sort of processes. And I think yeah. that for me is what separates the mix to the pre-mix because oh, yeah. you're yeah. sort of getting all those mechanical um, things. that didn't, It's sort of like a wee checklist in my head yes. that, I, that I think I need to do all of this first before I start to think objectively about this. Uh, track and start thinking you know what's too loud what isn't too loud what needs more of this effect you know what needs to have more space what needs to you know stand out a bit more um etc so uh for me the first thing that i do is sort of is more of the the aesthetic thing right you know because um before i can start to sit and look to see if drum tracks are in time that um you know things aren't out of phase and stuff I, I need to be able to look at it and not think uh oh, like is is that the is that the drums or is that the bass or what am i looking at here you know yeah, yeah. I, I i immediately make sure that everything is a uniform length and that things are color coded and labeled correctly um because then I'm not thinking subconsciously when I'm doing other tasks, um, you know, whether I'm looking at the right thing or if I'm looking at the right waveform. Yeah. You know, I might be looking at something going, oh, this, this snare seems to be in time, yeah, Grant. And I'm actually looking at the bass, <laughs> like playing stops or something, you know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's definitely the first thing, the, the visual uh, side of things. And, um, and I'll actually... Um, make sure that I'll uh, consolidate all the tracks. Yes, and, tip. Yep. Can yeah. you explain what that means for people who maybe don't go through that process? So um, when you record, um, when you press record and have all your um, tracks laid out, um, you may have started that recording slightly later or before some of the other tracks on on the project and you might have finished that recording later on because you were waiting for our guitar to ring out or something like that. Um, so 
what consolidate or you know another circumstance would be like you made it you might have made an edit in the middle where you've taken out um just when a guitar wasn't playing in yeah. between two of its parts mm-hmm. so what consolidating the track does is it merges all your fails together uh from a start and end point and makes them one fail and um all those fails uh if you make the start point start and end point the same for all your tracks it'll make these uniform lovely tracks that when you input them into a project will all line up perfectly on um the same start point um and i hear a lot of people um you know start that at zero uh as well so is that you know it, it gives them a good reference for you know where that is going to start but um other people will start that on you know uh, they'll start at zero and give it a few bars before that uh track starts other people um actually started right on the you know the first beat of the yeah. song so yeah. there's, there's a bit of difference there as well I think the advice there would be to at least give yourself four beats. And the the reason for that is because in the old days of connecting hardware, you needed to give the machines time to get up to speed with each other. So you mm-hmm. always wanted to have a bit of a of, of what was called pre-roll um, just in order to get up to speed. Well, I well, say it means that tape decks get up to speed too. Um, but it meant that there was a, a, a the computers could keep everything in time and it would all start um, on a downbeat together and there would be no clicks or pops or there would be no damage to the audio. Um, if you're making a beat electronically, if you're in Ableton, you can bounce, or sorry, if you're in Logic, you can bounce in place. And if you're in Ableton, you can freeze and flatten tracks. And I think you can do the same in Cubase too. Um, but we're, what we're talking about here is just consolidating the tracks so that the entire arrangement is just frozen in place and converted the audio. And if all of your tracks throughout your whole project have the same start and end point, then they'll load up in the same arrangement exactly as you intended them, regardless of what DAW that they're loaded up into later on by mm-hmm. yourself or by another engineer. So, um, for our pre-mix then, well, what we're doing is we're bouncing out stands. We're making sure each one of those tracks have all the noise removed from in between takes, as Sean that on. Uh, sorry, Sean suggested. Um, we are then making sure that the arrangement's in place and we're making sure that nothing's clipping out. And we're making sure that if we're compiling takes, we've already got the best takes into one audio track instead of handing the mix engineer five different takes and letting them decide. It's not their job to decide which is your best take. It's their job to present your best take. Um there's a couple of side bonuses that bounce out stems, of course. And the first one is future-proofing. Now, what I mean by that is the point that you made earlier on. You don't know at any point if you're going to need to revisit this project. Also, you don't know if you're, if the workstation that you're working on and the computer that you're working on or even the doll that you're working in is going to be the workstation that you're working on in the future if you need to look at these again. So by bouncing out the stems, you don't need the same DAW, you don't need the same plugins, you don't need anything of your current circumstance to get access to that raw mix material again, um, which is a fantastic archive resource. Also, you want to be bouncing that out at the best possible quality you can to future-proof it. Now, 24-bit 48 kilohertz is probably the, the new norm these days. Um, most of the streaming services are exactly fair to 24, 48-bit too, so there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think they say the days of 16-bit 44.1 are slowly behind us. Um, most MP3s will still get bounced down to that, mind you, but if you start from a richer file source, again, you're future-proofing yourself for yeah. um, higher-quality audio streamers. Um, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Um, just uh, it, it's also uh, worth pointing out that 
you know, things break from time to time as well. So um, a lot of projects will just stop working for no reason, or you might lose track of a project uh, somewhere down the line um, and you can't remember, um, you know, what, what you've done with it. So if you have stems there, it at least gives you um, something to work back on instead of going back to the drawing board. Yes, my favorite personal hit is plugging up these that lose your preset settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened to me, I think, um, I think it might have been a, a Waves plugin, I went from 32 to 64 bit, and it had changed the settings then when I got into the session, um, which was infuriating because I didn't remember what I had done previously. Uh, but let's learn as you go along. Um, there's also the idea of project sharing. So if you bounce stems, um, you can again share them stems to anyone, and that may be for uh, a mixing service. So you may be sending off someone else to mix, or it may be for a remix. So if you have a particular track that you want it to be remixed by someone, having all those stems available is really handy. Now you can do the same thing with MIDI files as you can with audio files, where you can bounce out MIDI riffs as MIDI clips, and then you can forward them on too. So it's not uncommon in the dance community that you would get audio Files, but sometimes you can request the MIDI files too if there's chord progressions or if there's pieces of music that you don't think you could replay or, or you want to have access to that you can decorate with a different sound. Um, so there's loads of reasons for bouncing out stems. Um, and I suppose naming conventions is the big thing that we really want to be talking about. Um, most of the time when you bounce out a stem, um, in fact, let's talk about some things to watch for because not naming them accurately is the very thing that we're we're moving to here. You need to make sure that you've labeled things accurately. So individual track names are very important. So instead of just calling it like Wimpy Wimp 2 or, or Fluffy Noise, um, you need to give the engineer or yourself, future you appreciate this, a clear reference of what that is. So it may be like synth sound effect before bridge or transition noise or white noise or it may be um, lead guitar part or it may be bass amp or it may be bass di so a very clean and boring and clinical descriptions in the name is the most productive way for future you to come back to this project and see what's going on or any other person that you're collaborating with to understand how exactly you're putting it together and sometimes we give things silly names in the studio and that's all well and good but when we've consolidated it and when we're archiving this, you need to consider it the consideration of future you making get that joke that you're making fun of that day. Yeah. And it seems to be a bit of embarrassment as well when you send it on to another mix engineer <laughs> and you're having to go, yes, could you turn up Womp Womp Bass like by, by a couple of TV? <laughs> Although Womp Womp Bass is a good description. It's a, I mean, I get that. That's... Um, <laughs> uh, yes absolutely so it's about naming stuff accurately um, then the other question that is often asked is about processing is about well what about EQ and what about dynamics and what about effects that I've got on the track and the advice would be there if you're using EQ to solidify or sorry if you're using compression to solidify sound if it's baked into the sound and it makes it part then keep it on there but if you're using it for dynamics control there's no point putting or like for side chaining or for creative uses there's no real point in doing stuff that is going to remove the options for um the mix engineer so if things are, are too bassy and they don't need that much bass and you're purposely taking out the bass then that's all right that's a decision that you're making you just need to be careful that maybe you don't need to be as severe with the cuts as you think because your environment might be telling you inaccuracies that the mix engineer can hear better if the mix engineer yeah. most of the time will have a problem if you're if your lead guitars are high pass too much then they'll probably come back to you and say you need to rebound that and take your eq off so it's not like the end of the world but it's if you're if you're the engineer like if you're going from an old computer to a new computer and you're just archiving this stuff and there's no 
opportunity for you to get back on that hard drive again. You want to give yourself the options that you can put the EQ in yourself later on. If you've got like a delay or reverb, it's on a lead sound or a vocal that's baked in and it's part of that. Like let's say it's a it's a kind of chant thing and it's got a big reverb on it that's part of the sound. So you would just keep that on because it would almost be a sound effect in itself. And in fact, many sample packs that, that I've come through have all that stuff already baked into it anyway, and you can choose to gate it out or you can keep it, but it becomes an effect in itself. And while mix engineers or other people can recreate that, they'll never get it 100% the way you had it. Uh, they can get it at a close approximation, but even having it there as a reference is a really good idea. The second tip would, of course, be if there's something that's causing you that kind of dirt or doubt or concern, is to bounce out a dry version with it too and label one processed yeah. and one clean. And then there's always that option for future year for a mix engineer to get exactly what you mean and then to fix any I, problems with their eyes. Yeah, I have an example of that um, actually with, you know, uh, electric guitars because uh, or was it, I had an EP that I had sent off to a mix engineer a couple of years ago of mine that... Um, we recorded all the guitars going through this uh, amp profiler. It was one of those Kemper oh, ones. Um, but um, we'd done the thing that I uh, regularly would do and just record that, but also have the DI signal as, you know, the sort of backstop in case um, things went wrong oh, yes. or, you know, it wasn't turning out right. And turns out, you know, when the mix engineer got back to us, he says, all the guitars are way too, you know, muddy and they're right. way too distorted. You know, when they're coming across on the track, they're just very boxy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was something to do with the monitors in the studio. It just, um, you know, at the time when we were recording it, but right. we just weren't hearing that. Um, and so ended up, I went back and used all the DI signals mm -hmm. just to reamp them again. Yeah. And, uh, and they were actually the, ended up the, the finished ones that went into, the, you know, the song at the end. And it was because we sent over those dry ones as well. You know, we, we yeah. wanted the, the guitars to sound this way, but sometimes um, that cosmetic, you know, style might not, ha you might not have executed that like the way you wanted. So yes, always have yes, the, yes. the backup of yep. a clean version for the, the mix engineer to use. That is a hundred percent today's takeaway tip. Always use a DI. Um, so mm -hmm. the DI and we'll save you in many circumstances. But I think your approach there, Sean, was right though, fundamentally. It's very important for you to run this stuff and make mistakes and get mm -hmm. it to the point where you know the only way you learn where the lane is often is to cross the lane and you realize, well, I'm not gonna do that again. So, you know, it's a very important part for your own skill development to try things out. Um, and that's where the DI is brilliant because if you try it out and you make a hash of it, DI is right there, you can get it again. Yeah process it that's no problem you can reamp it um if you don't try it you'll never expand your skill set and if you get it to the point where you try it two or three times you'll know okay i can do this and it'll get me this effect and you won't have to go through the experimentation to achieve the same aesthetic mm -hmm. and you'll get there quicker um but i suppose that that kind of brings us to uh the, the next part then, not only is, is DI's the tech tip, I think uh, our other recording tech tip then would be to save revisions because um, you're saying about having things in backup there too. So we're talking about stem, bouncing stems out and we're talking about uh, your tip there was about the DI too. Uh, my tip this week would be always save revision names. It's a bit like track naming here too where you might do an initial recording or come up with an, an initial idea if you're writing in thought and save it as an idea name or, or track idea. And then when it's in an arrangement, save it as version two arrangement. And then when you go to 
kind of make the bridge or make the build up, save it as far as in three, and you can then chart your progress in each step of the development so that you can know at what stage of the songwriting or at what stage of the mix you're at. You might have mm-hmm. fixed the, the chorus and you might need to break down. The breakdown needs a bit of work or there's a bit of work that needs done. And if you label that in the, the track title as you're saving or revising, then future you approaches that project with a very clear instruction either of where you've been or where you need to go to with it next. And Absolutely. It, just, it speeds up workflow so much. Yeah. Um, what I would say is to try and just think about that as often as possible. Um, there's a couple of things that come into your head when you're actually debating to yourself whether I should save this as a new project and start up a new one and, you know, and carry on. Not start up a new project, but, the, you know, save as and then have another copy of that. Sometimes yeah. you're thinking memory, you know, so yeah. a lot of people working from home are working with limited memory. Yeah. But, again, that, that's just sort of like a... Um, you know, if, if you've got a, a, a cloud storage uh, somewhere on Google Drive or whatever, upload it to that, save a bit of space on your computer, um, put it on a hard drive. Um, and then also it's about workflow as well. Sometimes, sometimes people think about, you know, uh, but I'm sort of like in my rhythm here. I know like that I can just keep going with it in this. If I start up a new one, I, I don't know. It just knocks them off a wee bit, but it's just, it is far more productive at the end of the day and just make, um, make more, um, projects for you to go back on and have that reference of knowing I done this at this time. Um, because there will be a lot of times you'll, you'll come back and you'll say, you may have been working on something for a couple of days, um, you know, fixing a snare or, um, a certain track on the project and you'll say you know what a couple of days ago this was certain better i've just yes. went down a rabbit hole here <laughs> so you, you can see clearly where it says you know the, the last one before you started working on that and so you can go straight back in again yeah and as if nothing happened um and many so people like copy the, the settings within that track too so i know in pro tools you can do it i know in logic you can do it i know mm-hmm. in ableton you can do it you can save the track setting so you can just straight import that track setting to the new mix if everything else in your mix is doing great but your yeah. share has went back to certain crap import the track setting from a previous save and you're straight back to that same snare sound without having to go through manually and do all the steps yeah. We should probably make a video on that too, actually. Um, it was shared to Nathan. He showed me that track originally in Pro Tools where we could take some uh, tracks from a recording session and then we went to mix the song. We were able to import them from the recording session straight into the mixing session with all the settings and it kept everything consistent. It was so uh, handy. Such a time saver. Um, so uh, speaking of, of, well, let's combine these two things. The, the last tip I just gave up was about naming uh, session revisions. Before that, we spoke about naming stems. Um, so we're going to jump into a video about how we can pull stems out and make sure that they're archived uh, for future proofing or for sending on if you have a mix you need to get done. So let's jump into that now. Okay, so we're going to have a look in Ableton at how we bounce out stems. Uh, this track is made up of some synths, some samples, um, and some drum kits. Now the drum kits have already been separated into each of their individual drum sounds. So the first thing that we're going to want to do is give a name to these tracks because if we import these into another workstation at a later date, we're not going to know what each of these channels are. So let's just have a quick listen. Okay, so let's call that hi-hat. And we'll name it according to the, the kit too. Deep hat. 
Verb. And your naming conventions um, really should reflect what's on the track in a very obvious way. So we will go through the rest of the arrangement and we'll name it in the same way. So, on our 808s. Uh, we could go into our 808s and tune those. Not tune, sorry. Um, give them key information. That one seems to be on E. And in order to get most accurate with this, we can uh, reduce the um, the range here and bring it up to something that's much more usable. And you can see there that that's sitting on B. And then the same again. Now, why it's handy to have this for your future self is that if you're mixing, you can then tell what note these 808s are hitting now. Let's just rename the groups also. It's always handy to give yourself four beats at the start and there's a very clearly defined start and end and we want to make sure that at the end all of our ambience have died before we stop so we can see on the master and on the EQ8 there's still a wee bit Now that we've got all the tracks highlighted, I've clicked on this tab bar, it's selected the area that I'm going to highlight, and we can go to File and Export Audio. We're looking at this dialog box that says Selection and Render Track. It's going to only render out the master. We don't want that to happen. So if we click on the drop-down menu, we can go to All Individual Tracks. We want to have it on Phrase 4, Bar 4, Beat 1, and at the end, we're going to go to Phrase 129, and that is Bar 1 and beat zero because it's going to stop at the start of that bar the rendering options then we're going to include return and master effects which are of course our same channels that could be at an atmosphere or ambience um, we don't want to render it as loop we don't want it to be mono we don't want to normalize it which means makes it as loud as possible that's not our intention here we're going to create analysis files with each of the audio files because we're going to re-import re them to Ableton once again um, and that means we don't have to wait for Ableton to load them and analyze them on the first import. We're going to export them at 48 kilohertz, which is consistent with my project setup, as you can see indicated by the wee speaker icon here. Um, and then we're going to go to the PCM, which is the, the wave code or the audio file that we're going to encode it. We're going to turn that on and we're going to uh, export it as an AIFF. Now, we can do that as wave also. The file types are almost the same. The AIFF, however, allows us to encode track information in there too, like track names. The bit depth is 24-bit, consistent with the project. And Dither options, we're not going to have any Dither on. Dither is part of the very very final last stage that you would use to reduce the, the file size, or sorry, the bit depth and bit rate, but that's for distribution later on. We're not interested in that. Um, MP3, no. SoundCloud, no. Video, no. Okay, so we'll export, and then it's going to ask us where we want to export to. So I've already created a stems for amps folder on my desktop, but even within that, we're going to create a new project folder, and we're going to call this one uh, the track name. I'm actually going to reduce that name to an abbreviation. And after this hyphen, it's going to give me the name of each track. So it'll be the right cause, uh, drums or clap or ambi kit or 808 
A or C or whatever we deem the track to be. So when we save that then, it takes a minute to render that out. Okay, so we're now going to import the files into Ableton. And if we drag our files onto the first audio channel and hold in command, you can see how it'll place everything down vertically. And we can now play that back just to make sure that everything has bounced out. I'm going to turn this down too, so we don't get blasted. We can either through and make sure that everything's played back. One additional tip is to add the BPM and key information to the track. So that will be at 160 BPM and it's in F minor. And that's it. Arcade for the future, ready to share or ready to be sent off to a mix engineer for a proper mix. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, folks, I just want to let you know that um, the radio has had a big buzz in the last few weeks. Um, we've ha we'll have a whole new schedule that you can see on the website and check out all the different shows that are going out throughout the week and tune into them if you can. Um, but if you yourself would like to get involved in uh, making some content for the radio or learning what it's all about, not necessarily making any yourself, and you just want to know more about uh, media and and how you know all this stuff is made get in touch with us on the website uh, we've got a wee contact us page on radioynp.com or just message us on facebook or instagram and let us know beautiful sean um right that's all for this show uh thanks very much for joining us you can reach us at uh, ampstudio.com um or you can email me to craig at amstudio.com if you've got specific questions. Also, jump in on the Facebook group. That's Facebook group forward slash amstudio uh, for the, the amstudio page and amstudio podcast for the group. Um, thanks for staying with us to the end. And if you've taken the time, uh, sorry, if you've taken value from this podcast, then please do share it with other like-minded people. The more people that we can reach, the more people that we can help, and that's what we're here to do. Um, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast provider, please give us a rating. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe and smash the like button. Um, again, until we see you again, stay safe and stay creative. This is the Am Studio Podcast. <laughs>